I'm turning in my Bible to John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to have a slide. If you'll start the slide, let's see. It's the one. Okay, stop on that one for a second. Victoria, great job. All right? I love it, love it, love it. So this will be on your bulletin. It'll be on our slides. This is kind of be our topical um, thing that we'll do periodically throughout this coming year. We're going to be focusing on the life of Christ and what is it called? Not an alliteration. What, what is that? Were you uh, acrostic? Um, love. We're focused on love, identity, freedom, and encounter. I am super stoked to unpack uh, that this year. As um, I like to go expositorily, verse by verse, go through the uh, the Bible that way, but we'll take some pit stops along the way and we'll look at life, life. We're going to be looking at that uh, this morning. The look, look on the next slide, if you will. I put that up there because <laughs> you can't really see the banner, all right? I get it. I messed up on the measurements. I kind of, like, go big or go home, right, I guess, um, and then yesterday, Brian, were, or the day before, Brian was helping me set it up. Thank you, Brian. And, um, and Adam was helping me set it up. And we're like, hey, why don't we just cut out this beam right here, this load-bearing beam? And, you know, the roof may fall, but at least you could read, Jesus plus nothing equals everything for life. So we're going to drop it down, and we're going to either cut out the clouds or something so you could get the main point of it. Because I think if you're in the very back, it reads nothing. And then I think if you're like in the middle, it reads nothing equals everything. No, if you're in the very back, you can read everything for life. Then if you're in the middle, you read nothing equals everything for life. And then if you're in the front row, which was my strategy, I think, is to try to get people. See, the closer you get to the front, the closer you get to God and you get it, right? So just saying, maybe it was not an accident. Um, but then if I drop it down, you guys see this verse in him. Can you read that? I think if I move, you could actually see the verse, right? Beep. Okay. Yeah? You're, okay. Well, 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 we'll just, you'll get it. Okay. It's a very simple bite-sized take. Good to see you, Alvin, Gladys, Steve. Good to see you guys. Um, it's a very bite-sized theme to take away uh, uh, with you as you leave. I think it's a great motto for life. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. For life. I have a gift that I'd like to um, hand out to you. If the ushers could come forward, maybe that did communion, or I mean, that, that, or maybe the ushers that are going to do communion, if you could help me out. There should be enough here, one for everyone. If there isn't, then let me know and we will order. Um, so just give it to men, women, children. There should be enough for everyone. And if there isn't, we will make one available to you. I'm so excited to have our Christ Life Conference uh, coming this weekend. Be here Friday. Please be here Friday. If you could make one of them, that's fine. 
but if you can make all of them, they will build on each other. Also, our author and guest speaker has, is sending materials here ahead of time, so you're going to get, this year you're going to start off with just a lot of resources. But let me kind of give you a little background to this book. This book was written by Dr. Jerry Benjamin. He doesn't put doctor because uh, he prefers not to. Hebrew scholar. He was training to become a rabbi from Washington, D.C. He's a friend of mine. I've known him for 20-something years. When he discovered Christ in the Old Testament, he's like, wait a second. I thought the Messiah was going to come. I didn't know the Messiah already came. And I could see him all over the pages of the Old Testament. So he receives Christ. His family rejects him. My wife, my wife knows Jerry Benjamin very well uh, as also because we've had him speak uh, over the years. But I, I was handed this booklet, and when I read it, it really changed my life. In the sense that it changed everything. It changed the trajectory of my entire Christian life. Now, because I've known him for a long time, I've given this book out to many people before. And these are, I have asked him, I said, Jerry, um, why don't you write a, like a normal sized book? And he says, well, because the publishers want me to uh, add words. And he says, this is all I have to say. I don't want to add words just to add words to write a book. So, he has this published some other in alternative way because this is all that he wants to say on this subject. <laughs> I have mad respect for that. He's not trying to sell books, not trying to get famous. Um, because the message you would think would be the most popular message that could be shouted from the housetops, but it's actually a foreign message that Christ would be preeminent in all things, not just prominent. I have repeated these sayings of this book from his ministry. I've read all of it. He has got, if this whets your appetite, he has a whole series of booklets that I guess could make a book. I mean, yeah, I guess you could have done that. I have all of them, by the way. You could order them. There's ways to order this. This is a free gift to you uh, from the church. But I just want you to have something that once you once you receive the message, and you might already know it, I just didn't. I was saved the right way. I knew Christ was the free gift of eternal life. I knew that my sins were forgiven and that if I died, I was going to heaven to be with God. Um, I knew all of that. I just really didn't know Jesus. Isn't that weird? It's, it was just, it was elusive. Jesus was elusive to me in the sense that if you said, hey, let, if there was three marquees, and he uses this example, <laughs> I don't know if it's in the book, but he, he'd use this over and over again, so I'll just borrow it. Three marquees of three churches, Myrna, to choose from. Just for example, she has chose this church today to be. But say you were just driving down the road and there was three churches and you wanted to go to church, but you didn't know which church to go to. And out on the marquee, one of the church, who cares what the name of the church is? You're just like, well, what's the church about? It says, find out who the Antichrist is. Come this Sunday. The next church is how to be 
your best life now and rich and skinny and happy and healthy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got some, woo. Um, and then the next one is the preeminence and loveliness of Jesus Christ. Which one you think would be the least attended <laughs> if it was just the choice of the subject matter of the church? And that's what changed my life. I was like, man, I'd rather know about the Antichrist, but I don't want to know about the Antichrist. Who is Jesus Christ? I know he gave me the free gift of eternal life, but do I know him as my daily victorious abundant life? Do I know him as life? And it set my wife and I on a journey, quite frankly, and it's been years and I asked her the other day, I said, Jen, I'm giving this book out. And we've had Jerry speak. We've read all of his books. We've heard hours of his sermons, talked to him hours. He stayed in our house for hours. And I'm not glorifying the man. It's just the, it's the message, not the man. It's, he's the messenger. Um, but I said, you know, this message has changed our life so much. How would you kind of make an application for the people? Because we've been on this journey for a long time. Of, of like Christ is preeminent, and it changes everything, everything, everything. It changes everything. It changes the angle of approach. Witnessing. I used to make it a point as a pastor, Thursday night, Saturday, let's go and do witnessing. Witnessing went from doing witnessing to being a witness. After you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be witnesses. There's little subtle changes that go. They start, the, they start at the same place. It's like an airplane that takes off. If, you're, if your compass is off by a few degrees, you know, 100 miles, 1,000 miles down the, the journey, you're going to be pretty far off. And I was getting pretty far off. I was getting really good at religion. I was getting really good at Christianity but I, I, I was confronted with something that I'm pretty weak with the Christ of Christianity. It's like when you, someone gives a testimony. Man, I could give 45 minutes of me, the sinner, and only five minutes of the Savior, the one who actually did the saving. Right? He was so foreign to me. I'm like, who is Jesus? He is life. So I asked Jen, and I said, what do you think? She's like, well, it takes time. It just takes time. It's not just a silver bullet. Uh, you grow in, in this grace and the knowledge of the person of Christ. And so I just want um, to give you some resources and some tools that I, she, she was talking to me about this. Um, we went to Little India last night. We had some Indian food at Little India. Ever been there? That's really cool. Um, but she's like, it's just going to take time. And, and we, I have not crossed a Jesus finish line, a grace finish line, a, you know, a, a Bible scholar finish. I haven't crossed any finish lines. I feel like I'm in the journey. But I'm just so excited to be in the journey with you all, with my wife, my family, and to have this be the main thing. Right? I'd rather be known for... The main thing, the main thing is Christ is life. And so 
um, I went from prophecy to apologetics to doctrine to knowing facts. And then I went from knowing facts to knowing the Father through knowing Christ the Son. And I can't think of any other book than the book where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so I used to come to the Bible to know facts. Now I come to the Bible to know the Father. I used to come to the Bible to look for uh, pictures and uh, portraits. And now I come and I see the person of Christ. And I think God used this messenger to set me on that path. I, I approach the Bible differently than I ever have before. I look for Jesus rather than looking for something less than Jesus, right? And so um, I don't do it all the time. And, I, and again, I'm standing here. I've been years into this approach, and I still, uh, I still feel like I'm just, uh, I've only just begun. <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> so John is a great book to see Jesus in print and also to know him in person. I really feel like today's message is going to be more of an overview. I'll read some verses in chapter 1, the first few verses, uh, but I'm definitely going to come back to them and unpack those verses um, in the weeks to come. So I'd like for you, if you would, take your Bible and turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we'll look at the first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I mean, we could stop there if I was smarter and probably better uh, at communicating. We could spend a year probably just on that verse. It's an eternal verse written and inspired by an eternal God. Was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God? He, that Word, that Logos, was in the beginning with God. The idea there, the word with God, means that there's a, there's a Trinitarian uh, uh, thought God wants to convey. But being with God means this, he was in the very presence. It has a face-to-face connotation there. And from this word, verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. That's amazing. All things were made through him, and without Jesus, nothing would consist you know where he says in Colossians 1.16, by him all things consist. He's the glue, but he's the one that started it all. He's the one that spoke it all. God said, let there be, and he created with the word. And now this word is being revealed in the word, the living word we're reading about in this inspired, God-breathed, written word that's been preserved all these years so that we might know we're not sitting on this circular ball of dirt by an accident. It wasn't in the beginning dirt or in the beginning an explosion or in the beginning 
an accident. It was in the beginning God. And he said it, and it all came. Everything that is seen came from that place which is unseen, but in eternal, and it was all through a word. So all things were made through him, and without Jesus was nothing made that was made. That includes the devil. That includes uh, all the angelic host. All things were made by him. Even the things that you can't see. Do you, do you realize Blaise Pascal is one of my favorite Christian philosophers? He has this statement I've been looking for for years. I read it one time, and I can't get over it, but I can't find it. And the idea is this. That you, <laughs> you see, he has this idea. He invented the calculator, the vacuum, uh, just a brilliant mathematician, scientist, Blaise Pascal. He comes up with Pascal's wager, if you've ever heard of it. He was an apologist. But he has this idea that, that we're infinitesimally between that which is the largest and that which is the smallest. And I kind of blew me away. I'm like, honey, I shrunk my mind. What's going on? You could go infinitely that way and infinitely that way because I'm looking at things that I think is small, but he's like, no, you could go a lot smaller than that. All I'm trying to say is the things that are seen and the things that are unseen, God has made them all. And in verse 4, it's kind of like a springboard verse. In him, Jesus, was life. In Christ is life. He brought life into being. He's the source of life. He's where life comes from. He is the, when you say, I am going to have eternal life, you cannot have eternal life apart from the one who is eternal life. Eternal life is not a somewhere. Eternal life is a someone. Eternal life is not a someplace. It's a some person, and it's Jesus. And he has the life that the whole world needs. Look, people are looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for, I'm going to change the lyrics, looking for life and all the wrong things, right? You could look for life out of your career, your family, your kids, your hobbies. Uh, you could look for life out of the way you look, out of how, it look. if you don't look good, you're like, well, I got a great personality, right? <laughs> out of the way you think, out of the way you feel, you could look for life at a lot of things on a physical level or a soulical level, your soul, but life is only found in the one who is life and he's a spirit, and he's the light of men. He illuminates. The one that's life brings to light the things that are actually true, the things that aren't seen. He makes them seen. He's the one that pulls it off. I can't do it by intellect. I can't do it by willpower. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not. Well, let's pray, and then let's just look at a few thoughts as an overview of John. But I wanted to lay down the foundation Christ is life. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would guide all of us, your people. I pray that you would shine the light, turn the lights on, Lord, that we might see that there's no life outside of you. You're the only one. Everything under the sun is empty, vain, and dead 
if you're not attached to it. Lord, we want to just lean into who you are and to know you greater, not just today, but this coming year, not just this coming year, but for life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the author of the book of John, though not mentioned by name in the book, John calls himself that disciple whom Jesus loved. He mentions that throughout the book five different times. And when you, when you think about that statement, you're like, when I first read that, I'm like, okay, who's this guy? You know, Jesus loves you more? I would have been one of the disciples like, dude, chill out, calm down. Who makes you so special? But I don't think that's the way John's approaching it. I think he's approaching it from a premise of humility and humbleness. I think John, if you know his background of the sons of Zebedee, where, you know, the sons of thunder is what he's also called. I think if you know his background, he was probably came from a, his dad, a hot-tempered uh, type fella. He probably was kind of like quick, rough fisherman, uh, you know, maybe very abrupt and blunt. And I think you see John... Um, as this one who leans into Jesus' breast, and when Jesus is mentioning someone's going to um, betray him, uh, and, and he's, you know, as close physically as anyone could be at that moment to Christ, God in the, God in the flesh. Um, uh, but I think he's, he's more of a picture of that Jesus would even love me. I think he's taken back that Jesus would even love him. And that's why he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not because he's better, but because he feels like, man, Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves, you know, you, you insert. And so I think he comes at it from a place of humility. Some scholars have the book of John um, dated as early as 40 A.D., um, while most conservative scholars put it around 85, 90. It was written most likely from Ephesus, uh, from the Apostle John. There have uh, been 1st, 2nd, and 3rd century manuscript discoveries uh, of the book, um, as well as John's disciples, his friends, his contemporaries, the ones he discipled, Irenaeus and then Polycarp, that will often, we have their writings as well, uh, quoting and mentioning uh, John's gospel and his writings about this. Uh, you know, it's weird. I don't say this to be braggadocious at all. I say this kind of to air out my nativity, may I say? <laughs> um, but I have been into some places around the world that if I were smarter, I would have taken a little bit more note. Jen and I were in Dublin, Ireland, and I said, hey, babe, that's a free library. That's my first thing that I saw, free library, <laughs> right? Let's go into this library. Do you know what library we went into? The Chester Beatty Library. You probably know what it is. He has some of the oldest Bible manuscripts in that library in the world. I had no idea. I was in the British Museum um, years ago, walking around, touring the li library. They have some of the oldest Greek manuscripts that we translate our Bible from, the Alexandrius and uh, the Vaticanus. Um, I didn't know that. Um, I had been to the Vatican also some of the oldest manuscripts of the New Testament there. I didn't know. I didn't even know where to look. Click. <laughs> was before I didn't have a cell phone, so I was like, you know, uh, old school camera. Um, I've been where, uh, the, I've been to the Qumran Caves. Actually, I did know about that. I thought that was pretty cool, where the Dead Sea Scrolls are. All I'm saying is this book that we're reading today that we're about to embark on 
is old. <laughs> and we've got manuscript evidence to back this baby up. But uh, I want to say this. 90% of the Gospel of John varies from the other three synoptic Gospels. Matthew portrays Christ as king and begins with the genealogy to prove his Davidic lineage. Mark presents Christ as the servant and begins with Jesus right in action. Right? That's why we don't really read much of Mark during Christmas time. Um, Luke emphasizes the humanity of Christ and starts with a lengthy background into his birth and childhood. Uh, and then John begins his gospel record the same way he ends it, by describing Christ as life, the uncreated creator of all things, and the great I am. John, I think, is, he, he says that there's many more things and there's many more miracles that weren't recorded, but what was recorded, uh, if you'll look at this, as we look at this overview here, um, I, I think, yeah, right there. Here are the recorded miracles that he decides to put in under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wants to put in the first miracle was turning the water into wine. And we'll, we'll talk about that because I think he makes Jesus look a certain way that really shows you the character and the heart of God. Because remember, when you see Jesus, you see the Father, but no man's seen the Father at any time. So this word became flesh and dwelt amongst us so we could see the heart of God. And so when we see Jesus, we're not seeing who God looks like. We're seeing who God is like and who God acts like. And so when we see Jesus in this first miracle turning water into wine in John chapter 2, we're seeing the heart of God, the word that became flesh, doing something. And the doing something affected the way people thought about God. And he's trying to portray a picture about God, so we might understand who God is. Next one is he heals the nobleman's son. And then the next one in John 5 is he heals the impotent man. And then the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, healing the blind man, raising Lazarus from the dead. And I thought this was interesting, that's kind of unique to John, that when after he rose from the dead, he provides some fish. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> John also makes great claims of Christ uh, in his deity as the great I am. He has this, um, these religious dialogues in John chapter 5 and John chapter 8 specifically, but at the end of John chapter 8, they're saying, well, we're, we're children of Abraham, and Jesus is saying, if you would have known Abraham, you would have known me also. Before Abraham was, I am. Making the same claim. This is the next slide, by the way. Um, making the same claim that God made to Moses, that he is the great I am from Exodus chapter 3. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of life. I am the good shepherd. Uh, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And then, uh, this, These quotes are probably out of place, um, but I threw them in at the last minute. And the reason why I threw him in at the last minute, because I dropped my wife off to get her hair done. Thank you, Julie, the recommended stylist. Oh, D. Um, and so she's like, this is going to take about two hours. I'm like, holy cow, are you kidding me? Mine takes like a couple minutes, right? <laughs> um, so I said, all right. 
I'll go get some gas in the car. I'll go to the Cyprus um, college swap meet, right? So on my way into the swap meet, um, I asked this lady because there's construction. I said, hey, is, um, can you get to the swap meet from here? She's like, yeah, you can. Oh, by the way, l- let me give you this. And she hands me this um, book called Living Water. I thought, huh, interesting. And I open it up, and it's the Gospel of John. And I said, that's really cool because I'm just starting tomorrow to preach from the Gospel of John. So I open it up, and these are last-minute quotes, but this is, in this booklet, they're quoting Napoleon. The Bible is no mere book, but a living uh, creature with the power to, that conquers all that oppose it. The next one here, um, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. George Washington, next quote, the Bible is the best gift God has ever uh, has ever to men? Okay. Um, probably given to men. It's probably correct in here. I wrote it wrong. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book, Abraham Lincoln. And then this book, this quote is not in the book. I, this next one here, I put this up here. The next quote. The next quote? Okay. Uh, we learn about the living word through the written word, the Bible is God's character in print, whereas the Lord Jesus is God's uh, character in person. But I thought, look, the Bible is 66 books long, uh, and out of all of them, John is probably the most beloved of them all. And they, they go on to say that in here, too. And I thought, man, this is really crazy, because I was just talking about and studying all of these things. So John writes to both Jews and Gentiles so that we could know the person of Christ. Where, where uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke emphasize certain events in the life of Christ, John, in essence, gives the readers the meaning behind those events in a way that is easy to understand and so that we could see Jesus as life. He is pictured as the Lamb of God in John, as the ladder from heaven, uh, not just the pathway to heaven, but the person of heaven. Uh, he's, he's the new temple, so not just the place, but the person. He's the one that gives uh, new birth. Uh, he was the serpent that was lifted up. He is the bread that came down. And so all of the things that you read about in the Old Testament, Jesus through John is portrayed as the one that was pictured in the Old Testament is now uh, the person who is the fulfillment of all those things. And so getting started with chapter 1 and verse 1, and we won't get very far, but I want you to see this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So Jesus was in the beginning, but Jesus has no beginning. I think that's very important to know, right? Just because he was in the beginning doesn't mean he has a beginning. He was just there. He's outside. The great I am means He's the ever-present one. He's outside of time. He created time. I, I think so, I've maybe said this before, but every time I mention this, it reminds me of this little boy when he was asked, why did God create time? And the little boy answered, so everything wouldn't happen all at once. <laughs> and so he's outside of time, but he created time for us. He created the beginning. He created the end. Um, so in that um, this book is like Genesis 1-1 I think that's up there 
in the beginning God. You could just stop there, in the beginning God. So it's almost like John 1 starts the way Genesis starts uh, in the sense, but this Genesis, this bringing into being is this new creation. And it's interesting because in Genesis you read about the first Adam, and in John we're going to get introduced to the last Adam. So where Adam failed in this first creation, Jesus will succeed and bring a new creation that in John 3 he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. And if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And so you kind of see in John 1 this second creation idea. In the beginning, God. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God, John 1. And so to me it's very interesting because Jesus is pictured in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 11 as the Alpha and the Omega. The, in other words, in the Greek, it would be equivalent to our English. He's the A to the Z. He's the bookends. He's everything in between. And all the letters that you find from our 26th letter alphabet, all of them arranged to make certain words, right? You, you ever played Scrabble, right? Fun game. Scr- scrambling up words. So he's the A to the Z. And You could put all those combinations together. And Jesus is the beginning and the end of the alphabet is what he's trying to portray. But words words come from letters. And he is the infinite letter. He's the infinite word. He's the word of words. He's the Lord of lords. And he wants us to know that Jesus has the logos, the logos. Is that potato or potato? A lot of people say logos. I think it's logos. I'm not a Greek scholar, but that word was in the presence uh, of God from all eternity past. So this is the unique name for God to refer to him as the word that only John uses. For example, John in the same chapter, John chapter 1 and verse 14, and we'll look at this deeper. This is just an overview today. But the Word became flesh. I really, really, really want to talk about that in great detail. I really want to talk to you about the Word becoming flesh. And in the beginning was the Word. And how God manifests His Word. I'm just going to give you a hint. Can you see what I'm saying? Can you see what I'm saying? You're like, no, I could hear it, but can't see it. I want to talk about that Can you? because God wants you to see what he's saying. He used to speak in different ways. Donkeys, prophets, bushes. The last days, it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3, spoke to us by Christ. And he wants us to see what he's trying to say. That's coming. But I just want you to see, John is the only one that uses this this name word for Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt its... Uh, Uh, among us, we beheld the glory. Not in a temple, not behind some curtain, but this word took on skin and then they saw the glory of God as of the only begotten of the Father and he came fully loaded, full of grace and truth. Next, Next verse, catch this one. This one's really good also by the Apostle John, but it was an epistle. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. How do you touch a word? This is phenomenal if you think about it. They're touching the eternal word. And this life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness. Look at his testimony. He's not even talking about John. John's like, that Jesus would even love me. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about the eternal word. He's like, I want to declare this to you so that you could know who I know. And it's this eternal life which was uh, with the Father and manifested to us. So he's declaring that eternal life, which is a person. Amen? You getting it? Or are you seeing, you seeing, you, you see how John approaches things? Like his angle, this is another epistle, kind of comes at it the same way, saying, the different, uh, saying it differently, but kind of the same way. It's the word and it's life, right? And he wants to, us to know that he was holding the word of life. Look, when Jesus was on the earth, the word of life was outside of John, but he'll conclude his first John epistle by saying, that word is now in you. That eternal life is now in you. He's not outside of you where he could lay on the word. Now you could experience the word if you've received that eternal life. And that's what he's trying to... John's very evangelical. He really wants people to have this relationship uh, with this eternal life. I love this verse for sharing the Trinity with people. 1 John 5, 7. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. So if your translation doesn't have this, it's only in a few. It's in the New King James and the King James. This is the New King James. Um, but the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Well, we know who the Word is because John already told us uh, that it was Jesus from the first chapter. And then um, John also, in Revelation, he, he, he knows Jesus as the Word. It's very interesting. In Revelation 19, 13, Jesus was clothed with the robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's how he's known. He's called the Word of God. I think it's interesting that when Jesus Christ comes back and all the armies which are us come back with him, and you read about this in John 19, or I mean Revelation 19, that it says, out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, and he smites the Antichrist with the brightness of his coming. Remember, the sword of the Spirit is, is also called the Word, and Jesus just shows up. The word says the word. Word, and it be done, right? So, what's the, what's the purpose? In Christ was life. This word contains life. But what, John, what's the purpose? What's the purpose of this? I think so that we might experience and express Christ as life. I think there's three things from one verse that we'll look at here, but there's three things that John wants us to know about his epistle. <coughs> Number one, that we would see the eyewitness accounts of his miracles. Remember, he was saying, hey, I was with him in the beginning. I handled him. I saw him. And he decides to put in certain miracles that the others don't. 
And he wants to go at it from a different approach, but he's saying the same thing, but he has, he has a grander purpose in mind. And I think this is why it's the beloved gospel. He's, he wants, he's zeroed in. He's not just focused on events and little details, and those are all fine and dandy, but he wants people to see these miracles so that we would believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be. It just came to my mind now that a lot of these miracles, remember people responded to, to Jesus and he says, he says, these are, he gets into arguments about his deity in the Gospel of John quite often, right? That he's God. And they, in John chapter 10, they take up stones to throw him because you being a man make yourself out to be God? Blasphemy. And so he's trying to, he wants us to know these things. Uh, but I think the third thing is that we would have his very eternal life by putting our faith alone in Christ alone. Of the Sunday school lesson Jerry was giving this morning, which is great, by the way, when he was mentioning the four spiritual laws, I ran, a quick, I ran some quick statistics. Out of 11 verses, five of them were from John. And I thought, man, it's almost 50% of the four spiritual laws is from this book. Why? When you, when you see sport events, what's the number one verse you see held up? Austin 3.16, right? No, okay. Um, John 3.16. Um, let's, let's go to the verse that, that these thoughts come from. So at the end of the book, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which were not written in this book, indicating that the ones that were put in here are very, very, very important. Because he could have kept writing. But he says, there are many that are, could have been, but these are them. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Mashiach, right? Yeshua Mashiach, the Son of God, that believing you might have life through his name. He's just saying, I'm summarizing the whole thing. I'm going on record. I'm going, I'm writing all of these things. And his life is in danger, by the way. You realize all the apostles lost their life. John was the last and oldest living, and he was thrown off to the penal colony of the, of the Isle of Patmos to die, like a prisoner's solo, solitary life. So, but he's like, I, I need to go on record. And this was written quite later. He's like, I need to go on record, and I'm going to put these things down. But I, if you're going to take anything away, may it be the life of Christ, if you're going to get anything from it. Right? Like some people are interested in the size of the shoe of, of Jesus and John the Baptist. I don't care. I, some people are into that. Like, you know, how many, and it's a lot of the, they're, they're, it's all in there for a reason. And there's really detailed stuff in there. But I think what John's trying to, if he's going to say, if, if the most important thing would be getting this life eternally and, and having this life experienced daily. So let me just wrap this whole thing up by giving you an invitation that only is found in the gospel of John. If you have not received this gift of eternal life, God's offer through the apostle John is free. You got to understand that it's a free offer, but it's also very clear. So let's just stay exclusively in the gospel of John. These aren't all the verses, but these are some main ones. Chapter 1 verse 12. But as many 
as received him. To them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Notice it's believing and receiving, not achieving. This is how you get into the family. How you got into your family was you just received, <laughs> you didn't achieve it. Here's the famous verse, John 3.16. I should have put in John 3.15, which is very good also. It just simply says, whosoever believes in him has everlasting life. John 3.15, boom. That's a good one, right? John 3.16 elaborates on the, the thought right before that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He could have just showed up and said, you guys are all sinners going to hell. See you, I'm out of here, right? <laughs> he didn't come into the world to condemn. He came to give life, right? He didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. What? Saved from the second death so they could have eternal everlasting life. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. So from this verse, what's the only thing that can condemn you? unbelief, right? Because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And you know Romans 8.1, uh, who's ever in Christ, or there's now therefore there no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. And how did you get into Christ Jesus? Believing. Look at um, John 3.36. I happen to use this one a lot. He who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How do you get the wrath off? By putting the life in. How do you get the life? By believing, just receiving. Pretty simple. It's not if you're in church or if you're in religion or if you're in a, some, some seminary. Or it's, it, it's, you're in Christ, you're in life. You're not in Christ, there's no life. There's no life. You could try to fake it. You could try to look for it. You could try to rec recreate it, replicate it. There's only one genuine source of life, and it's the Son of God. So John comes to a woman at the well, Samaritan. Um, right? Is that, that that? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, it is. John 4. Um, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, very important, the gift of God, and who it is that says unto you, Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water, eternal, everlasting water. Look, see, physically you could take a drink, even if it's Gatorade, the thirst aid, the deep down body thirst. You're still going to be thirsty for more. In fact, they put sodium in it to make you more thirsty, right? And a bunch of other bad stuff. Um, this isn't an anti-Gatorade thing. Don't get mad at me. But when you take Christ for your spiritual thirst... You're satisfied. I'm not looking for another Jesus, another religion. That's why people come and peddle religion. We had someone the other two weeks ago at the door peddling religion. I'm like, I already have Jesus. I don't, anything else is a downgrade. I don't need the downgrade, right? So, but he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give them will become a fountain springing up into everlasting life. He is giving the offer. She believes it and receives it and goes and tells others and brings them back. This is kind of my thought for this church. And I know you have Jesus, and if you don't, these are 
offers from God to you. Um, but if, you, if we would get so excited about Christ, we would want others, come, like in chapter 1, come and see. Come and see Jesus, right? Um, look at John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, get this last part, but is passed from death to life. Yeah. When you receive Jesus, you hop out of the kingdom of darkness and you're translated and put into the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of love, which is the kingdom of life. Implying if you're not in that kingdom, you have condemnation resting on you, you have wrath abiding on you, and you're yet dead in your sins. And God wants to change that for you, and he simply does that when he knocks and you say, yes, Jesus, come in and give me that life. Boom, it's yours for free. He did all the work. He just wants you to believe it. Even in John chapter 6, which is the next one, they come up to him after he fed the, the multitudes, and they come to, what must we do that we might work the works of God? Um, I think it's in verse 28 or 29 of this chapter. He says, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. But later on, he gives this message about Jesus being the bread. Most assuredly, I say unto you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. And he's giving them an illustration that he's the bread that came down from heaven. You eat manna, you're hungry. You have Jesus. You will be sustained forever. John 6, 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Amen? It's life. Life. I think it's John 6, 6, 6. I always do that when I think about John 6, 6, 6. All the multitudes leave, and then Jesus said, will you guys leave also? And then Peter comes in, and he says, to who else can we go? You have the words to eternal life. It's a who. He said, who can we go to? No other guru. There's no other religion. It's Jesus. John 7, I'm almost done here. I, Hang on, we're, we're, we're doing good on time, we're, but I just have a few more to read. John 7, verse 37. On the last day of the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in other words, he hadn't gone to the cross, pay for the sins, forgive you so that he could fill you with his life. You need to be forgiven to be filled. And that's what the whole cross is. That's what communion's about as we look back at, remember, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me with your body and your blood so that we could have you as our life. John 10, next one. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. These are all counterfeit substitutes for life. But Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, that Zoe life, that particular life that's in the Greek that's found exclusively to God, that eternal everlasting life, and that they might have that particular life more abundantly so that you could have eternal life when you die 
and go on to be with God forever living, but also before you get there to have his abundant life daily, right? Because I think a lot of people, that's where I was. I was like, Jesus, I know I'm dying and going to heaven. That's eternal life. I don't know you for my daily life. That's where I was at, right? And I'm still trying to experience that, that whole thing. Uh, so Jesus wants to give us that abundant life. And I think it's a white whale to a lot of Christians. Is it really that? Really? I've even had Christians say it sounds too good to be true, right? Because <laughs> they're saved by grace through faith, and then they're sanctified through struggle and misery, and it's all terrible, and come to Jesus, and I'm having such a good time. Right? No, no one seems to be too excited to invite people to Jesus, right? Yeah, whatever, get saved. Um, you know, it's great to be a Christian. Um, <laughs> but when we're living from his abundant life, man, uh, you couldn't scare Paul with prison. He had to tell people about Jesus, right? Um, you can't scare our missionaries that go to the other side of the world um, and put their life in jeopardy, you know, and I'm not saying that about anyone in this church. I'm just saying at large. This is where I was coming from, and sometimes it's, some people could relate to that. John 10, 28, Jesus in this chapter is trying to say that he's a good shepherd. He says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man take them out of my hand. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says unto her about her dead brother, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And so he doesn't just give resurrection life. He is resurrection life. He is that eternal life that has no end and has no beginning. John fourteen six quoted in Sunday school, I am the way, the truth, and notice the life. He is the life. The life. He is the life. John 17, 3. This one's kind of a kind of a flyover verse, but I want you to see it. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That is eternal life. And then John 20, 31. I already read it, but I wanted to bookend it. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is Christ, is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, let's go back to where we first started. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Let's do this. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to just ask the ushers could come forward as we're about ready to take communion. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to do a couple things. If you're already a Christian, uh, maybe take this time to think back about who the Lord is in your life and maybe make this a time of reflection. You know, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. That's what we do communion for. But maybe, maybe you've been religious. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you've never received the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you are familiar with those verses that we read 
And maybe you're not familiar with those verses. Maybe you have Christianity, but maybe you're like me. You don't, you don't even know Christ. Maybe you're saved, but you'd say, Lord, I want you to be my eternal life, but I also want to know you as my daily abundant life. My hand is up for that for sure. Um, so whatever it is, I would like you to pray. But with heads bowed and eyes closed, you'd say, I've never received Christ. Christ is not my eternal life. I don't know if I'm going to spend eternity with God in his presence, but I'd like to know that. I'd like to take John's offer of this free gift of eternal life. I'd like to receive that today. Is there anyone in here like that? Could you slip your hand up? Anyone say, no one's looking. I'm just looking, but no one else is. God already knows anyways. You already know. And I'm not trying to make anyone doubt. If you know, you know, right? His spirit bears witness to your spirit. You're the child of God. But if he's not bearing witness with your spirit, just lift your hand up. I would like to pray with you and for you. Anyone at all? All right. Then as the ushers would come forward, um, we're going to go ahead and observe the Lord's uh, Supper. All right. So I'm going to read some passages related to all of it, the, the juice and the bread, and then we'll uh, come back. And I'll ask Vic if you'll thank the Lord for the cup. Um, and then if you could thank the Lord uh, for the bread when we do that too. But the Bible says this um, in verse 19, And he took bread in Luke 22, and he gave thanks and break it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup uh, after saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. So we're going to go ahead and have the ushers pass these out, and then we'll thank the Lord for uh, his blood that was shed here in a moment. And so he took the cup, and he blessed it, and he gave thanks. So we're going to do this in remembrance of what Christ has done. And then he took the bread, and he gave thanks, and break it, and gave it unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. So in a moment, I'm going to ask Eric to thank the Lord for uh, the bread. You know this is just a symbol, but when you think about it, the Word became flesh. And this symbolizes God and Abad, right? The Word taking shape. And so we're doing this in the remembrance because Jesus shed his blood, but he also rose again bodily. And if he didn't rise again to have that display of resurrection life, communion's not anything but a religious rigmarole. So we're doing this in remembrance of that life. Okay, I'm going to ask us that we all stand. I'm going to ask uh, Alvin, could you dismiss us in a word of prayer, please?